Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time I spoke with Dr. Joe Watkins, a GP, business mentor and mum, and she is on a mission to build self-esteem and confidence in young teenagers to follow their own unique path in life. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is a serial social entrepreneur and has 30-year career across a whole range of industries and for the past six years has been working in the field of neurodiversity. I'd like to welcome Lucy Smith to my podcast. Hi Lucy, how are you? Hi there, I'm doing okay. Fabulous. Yeah, are you having right. a good day? Yes, right. yeah. Yeah, just about. I've had some good news today, so I'm doing pretty okay. But I can't share oh, the good God. news. No, oh, I'm afraid. Lucy. Yeah, there's an NDA in place. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, Lucy, Lucy is a fantastic individual and self-identifying. Is this correct, Lucy, as neurodiverse? Lucy has a great deal of skill and ability mostly 24 hours a day and she spins up all sorts of things and there's always fantastic things that are happening that she doesn't always talk about and reveal <laughs> to the masses but um lucy has yeah fantastic alps as far as i can see I um, on your yeah i can't believe each day sometimes because i start the day so for instance i'll give you an example I started the day yesterday thinking I've got a day of admin. I've got a report to write about a grant evaluation about our work experience program. That needs to be done. And I'm not doing anything else until I actually finish that, because otherwise I won't get it done because I'll procrastinate and do lots of other things and find anything else to, to, to substitute it. By the end of the day, I had done the report. I did finish the report. But by the end of the day, I've had a conversation with a local college about setting up a, an app and a platform uh, about a, a particular thing that I don't want to say on air yet, but it's so supremely exciting that, yes, so my world goes in very different ways sometimes. Thank you for sharing that, Lucy. We will keep your confidentiality um, <laughs> and allow you to share that in due course. But I introduced you with a 30-year career prior to working for the last six years um, in the field of neurodiversity. So tell us a bit about the 30 years prior to your Whoosh. awareness. I've been, I've, I, well, I reflected on this this morning, actually. Mm. And I, I, I thought the things I have done in my 30 years. So the predominant part of my career I spent in uh, the civil service, in the home office, but as a law enforcement officer. And so I worked in areas of intelligence and investigation and incredibly exciting stuff, which, again, I can't always talk about. Uh, but supremely exciting, I must say. That just gives everybody that little bait, doesn't it? That It's like, <laughs> oh, we want to find out more. Um, yeah, so I worked in, in law enforcement and I spent uh, time in places like the National Crime Agency and uh, Her Majesty's Customs and Excise when I started. That's how long ago it was. It was still called HM Customs and Excise and the Inland Revenue. Now it's HMRC, isn't it? So I spent uh, a lot of my career doing that. But prior to that, I've done a number of different things and I still always had a, a bit of a side hustle, even when I was working uh, for 16 years in, in that career. So lots of different things from being a fairy to this is the bit that I reflected on this morning. I was like, mm. 
people sometimes think about jobs and they're like, well, I want to get paid this and I want to get paid that. Actually, just five years ago, I was writing blogs for a penny a word. That's, I'd left my, in fact, it wasn't even five years ago. It was less than five years ago. I had left my job. Uh, my my permanent job or my my proper job at the University of Bristol for family reasons really, mm. and I needed to find work and I needed to 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 just do some work to to pay the bills and I was blogging for a penny a word. So wow. that that that's the kind of things I I kind of have, have been involved in. Like I say, I've been a fairy. I've been a waitress. I've been I served the Queen a breakfast once. I never told you that, have I? No, you haven't. <laughs> How did you manage that? And what did she you have breakfast, breakfast in bed? She had breakfast in bed served by moi uh, when she visited a uh, a military base in Germany. That I was a waitress in the officers' mess, and I got I got the the opportunity to make her breakfast for her. Oh wow! Okay, you don't have to tell us, but I imagine a boiled egg with some soldiers. Almost toast <gasps> cut into triangles with lime marmalade and Earl Grey tea. Oh, well, that sounds very delightful. Yeah. I, might, I might try that, that this week. Talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is why there is some awareness of neurodiversity in the mix. So tell us how you um, had the understanding around the concept and the reality of neurodiversity and what it means. Okay, so I, believe it or not, well, I grew up in a neurodivergent family, but I didn't realise it. Um, I thought that I was just part of, that was just normal. Um, My uncle who I lived with was uh, about seven years older than me. And I lived with him and my grandmother and my my mum at that time in the 70s. Um, And I thought that that was just normality. I would go to all the, the different groups and clubs with him and meet all the different people with different brains and different ways of, of experiencing the world. Then I grew up and I didn't really think that much of it. And then I I had children and at the age of 11, we were told that my eldest child, she was autistic. And so that kind of span our world around because we had no concept at all that that they were autistic and that mm. that was the reason for the challenges that they were having, which were, you know, significant anxiety and mental health challenges, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So at that point, you kind of throw yourself into, as you do, um, a hyper focus and a bit of a special interest of finding out everything I could about being an autistic girl mm-hmm. and what that means. And so I really did. And the first way in which I, I kind of tapped into that world of neurodiversity was I found an organization called The Girl with the Curly Hair, which is headed up by Alice Rowe, who's an autistic author, content creator, just general Wonder Woman. She's an Olympic weightlifter, which I used to think until fairly recently was that she was in the Olympics weightlifting. No, it's apparently a sport. So who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is a sport. Coming coming from a a sport uh, of a martial arts um, thing, um, you never know. Um, Lucy, I want to just pause and have a conversation around a child being diagnosed at 11. Mm -hmm. Now, I've heard of children being diagnosed at the age of three or four or five. Mm -hmm. Um, Is 11 quite a a, a regular age to have some diagnosis with autism? Interestingly, historically, I would have said 
No, and it's still it is actually classed as a late diagnosis. So yes. let's go into some of the history and let's let's just a little bit unpick around diagnostic criteria and research and evidence and and the way we got to where we are today. Yeah, many girls in particular will not have had a diagnosis of autism because diagnostic criteria are based on boys and generally what you will find oh. is that boys will will show uh, behaviors at a much younger age and it will be considered that oh yeah we'll look at autism because he's a boy blah 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 yeah girls on the other hand ha- have there are differences in the ways in which girls behave and so a girl who's introverted and likes horses a lot may very well be considered, oh, well, that's just typical, isn't it? That's just, you know, that, that that's just normal behaviour. But actually, then you start to unpick things and you start seeing things unravel. And what happens is children in their preteens and teenage years are struggling with mental health issues and are struggling yeah. with, and this, this is how we got to this point, that um, my daughter was struggling with anxiety and suicidal ideation and and actually attempted at a very young age. So I'm sorry, because it goes deep. I go deep very quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm okay to, to talk about this. So I hope that you are. That 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 happened at a very young age. And in order to to find out more and support her, we, we went to those people who could 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 give the, the help and support. So you think. Um, and it was at that point that that somebody said she's autistic. And mm-hmm. that was a bit of a shock and a surprise. And that eleven mm-hmm. year that, that age of eleven there are an absolute ton of kids in schools right now who are undiagnosed, their needs are not being met, neurodiversity in terms of ADHD, autism, dyslexia. I meet students who are at university who tell me regularly, I didn't get diagnosed until I went to university. Wow. And so their diagnosis comes from university because uh, lecturers are noticing, well, this work is brilliant, but it makes no sense at all. So, you know, let's let's talk about let's talk about dyslexia and mm. let's let's put you through a screening process. And at university, they have that 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 ability to, to go through that process. OK, but um, if anyone's listening to this, then I, I want to say reach out to Lucy. You know, you don't have to wait until university years if there are no. any questions and there's parents that want to ask questions. Um, I'll put Lucy's contact details in the show notes. I just want to kind of um, put that in there, Lucy. Yeah, no problem. I can sign post to places. But the, the first place to go for everyone is your GP. OK, so yeah. first place is GP. And I can put a plug in here for um, the Hub of Hope. If you've if you've not found the Hub of Hope, um, just Google Hub of Hope and it will come up. And it's a fantastic website with lots of support groups and lots of places that you can go to to find find support. So you can you can type in what you're looking for and your postcode, and it will come up with those groups that can help you in that area. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Lucy. Ready to develop your leadership style? Well, Lutech offers a leadership package just for you. As an entrepreneur, you often need to pitch ideas, negotiate deals, and market your products and services. The MBTI assessment can provide valuable insights into how you naturally approach these tasks. By understanding your inherent strengths and preferred methods of communication, you can tailor your strategies to resonate with your target audience and achieve more favorable outcomes. I have over 15 years delivering feedback and helping individuals develop their leadership style. 
book your session today at www.lutech.co.uk forward slash leadership. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Lucy Smith, founder and director of Inclusive Change. Now, Lucy, this is a a tech podcast and I know you have kind of systems and processes and um, have used technology to support your business. Tell me a bit more about that as well as uh, kind of dipping a bit lightly back to your own understanding of neurodiversity and your own behaviours in the mix. There's a lot of questions in there. You know. <laughs> Come on. It takes me 10 minutes to answer one question. If you ask me three at once, you'll never get a word in. Oh, my goodness. Right, okay. Go. So in terms, of, in terms of neurodiversity, right, let's go back to inclusive change. And let me tell you what we do at inclusive change, yes. which is essentially – I help people understand more about neurodiversity so we can have better success in the workplace. That's for everyone. I want to build the future of work with neurodiversity in mind. Cheesy. I know. I've been saying it for four years. People haven't caught on to it yet. But that's what I that's that's what I, I I'm, I'm saying that we want to do. Build the that's future. Your, of that's work. your mission. That's your mission. Yeah. Yes. Good. It means sometimes working with people who are existing in the workplace. So. People who are neurodivergent in the workplace and might need support or their leaders and their managers and their their um, colleagues providing training and support in that way. It can also mean talking to schools and young people and helping them understand how they can advocate for themselves and how they can thrive in the workplace. So what supports are there? What reasonable adjustments might be in place? Those kind of things. So there's a whole range of stuff that I do. One of the ways that I do this, because I figured out I've got a lot of knowledge in this head, all right? And I want to you get have. it out to people. Right? I just want to get it out to people. But I can't do it on a one-to-one basis anymore because I'm not reaching enough people. And so I want to reach as many people as possible with as much useful information as possible. Because let's face it, the internet, all right, there's a Wild West out there. It's not called a WWW for nothing. It's like the Wild West, all right? Love that. And, Love that, Lucy. <laughs> Because there is a whole load of tosh out there. There's a whole load of stuff where you can go down rabbit holes. And the next thing you know, you're feeding your kids something disgusting because you think that's going to fix them. Utter rubbish, right? However, one of the ways in which I want to get information out to people is through things like courses, online courses, being able to click a button so you can you can access information. And I, I do this at Inclusive Change. I have an academy. I have a, a, a champions network. So we, we have a, a network that we have online and I use tech to make that happen because believe me, right, running that, managing the emails, managing the contacts, get it on automation if you can. If you can automate yep. it, that leaves, that leaves the world free to hear from me and anything that I need to do is about my brain and my face. That's it. And we can automate everything else. So I use a, a product at the moment called Techmatics. Techmatics is something that's, I think it's fairly new in the UK. So uh, the, the lady that, that um, set it up is a lady called um, Sarah Cordner. She's over in Australia, but she is British and she comes from, she comes from the Southwest. Amazing, right? This woman, I'm not going to say she's got ADHD, right? But this woman is like, you, you watch her talk and it's just so much information and she does so much and captures it all. And she has processes and systems and tech in place that helps somebody who may have ADHD keep it all together. 
It's just, yeah, it's just amazing. It's just a, a, a fantastic way for me if I am got ADHD and so I explore this and but being somebody who may be neurodivergent we don't like to say we have got it or have something unless we have a diagnosis and unless Mm. somebody's given us permission to say that and validated us but enough people have spoken to me have said maybe you should go and have a chat maybe you should explore this I, I love that conversation, Lucy, because um, I, I get the same comments from you, believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> when, when we're both off doing different things and achieving things that, um, you know, some people don't consider achieving or, or setting their mind to do. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then we've done it before we've finished the conversation, usually. Yeah. Set up a, um, a radio station on a weekend. Yeah, of course I can do that. Not a problem. Yeah, doing that with you. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, Okay, so I've been very lucky to attend a three-week course, three separate days. Not three whole weeks. It's not three. Not three (laughs) three whole weeks. Three three days. Three three sessions. sessions, um, Talking about understanding neurodiversity for organisations. And I was very privileged to meet some of your guest speakers, Ileana Mullins and... Daniel Biddle. Daniel Biddle. We will um, name check them and link them in this episode. Um, But they have their own unique stories. And just to be able to share their view and their experience of uh, neurodiversity and disability within the mix. And one of the big things that I took away from the last session, Lucy, was about treating each individual as an individual rather than putting something on offer that is for everyone. Yeah, because our ADHD program is this. Our autistic program is this. No, individuals, please. And and I really started to shift my mindset with regards to thinking about classifying um, conditions or whatever. Maybe like you, Lucy, I don't like being put into a box and being told that I'm one thing or another because I'll go and then jump in another box and then do another thing so that I can't be classified <laughs> as one thing or another. Um, hence also my um, Jiu-Jitsu Lu podcast. And there if you haven't go. listened to that, go and have a little listen. But that was a, an idea that then spun up within the space of a couple of days. So thinking about the individualism and any of the any of the neurodiverse things, how do you best support, and obviously it's on an individual basis, um, but that combination that, you know, inclusive change supports and maybe I'm skipping over because my mind's running at 100 miles an hour. Um, we also, you also shared the strengths and challenges mm-hmm. um, of self-diagnosing as neurodiverse. Or well, no, anybody. Right. So let's go back to a bit of a let's go back to a bit of basics. All right, neurodiversity. What does it mean? What is it? Okay, neurodiversity. It, it, the concept and the paradigm is that. Actually, we're all different. We all have different ways of experience in the world. We all have brains that should be valued and no brain should be worse or better off than, than others. However, there are some people who have different conditions that will mean that they process the world in a different way and may need some support in workplaces, in schools, in daily life. And they will be different in different ways. Okay. And so neurodiversity for me is about everyone, but that doesn't, I don't want to diminish 
people who have needs and need support in the workplace that that i will not diminish that and i will yeah. absolutely accept that most autistic people will benefit from support within the workplace that might be things like coaching mentoring that might be things like auxiliary aids to help manage information or support with diary bookings and diary managements and things like that could also be things to help around socializing yep but neurodiversity is about us all and we can all do well to consider what our strengths are and what our challenges are in the workplace but I don't want to go down the route of, oh, well, I know how challenging it is to be a parent. Yes, you do. But you don't know how challenging it is to be a parent who may very well have ADHD themselves, who's also parenting neurodivergent children. And that in itself is, wow, that's that's, you know, we need support in those kind of in, in the workplace around that kind of topic. Yeah. Do carry on, because I think. You know, you've given one example there, an ADHD parent with ADHD children. You could imagine all the mix and match of, of the individuals yeah. that you may well be dealing with. And that's vast. And you can't necessarily treat one person with with the, the kind of care and consideration that another might need. Uh, very different needs and and kind of support that is is required. Yeah. And it's worthwhile asking, how can I support you? Mm. And so, I mean, I've had a conversation today with a parent who is, I don't know how to get the support I need in, in work. And it's not for them, it's for their children. Yeah. And so it, as an employer or as a line manager, how can I best support you? But being open mm. and also, so here's one of the big challenges that we have, right? There's a whole range of or a whole um, lot of late diagnosed or undiagnosed people in the workplace right now, all right? Men and women, non-binary, gender fluid, they're out there, right? A lot of those people will not yet know what could make their life better, uh. what could improve their working life or their home life as well. Yeah. And as a result, quite a lot of companies and organizations need to start thinking about how do we get that information? How do we support our employees? And one of those big questions is, how do we help them in understanding what they don't know yet? Does, yes. That's a really convoluted way of me saying it. Yep. But if you're a late diagnosed neurodivergent person, you've had a whole life of building up strategies that might not be helpful for you and have led yeah. you to a place where you might be masking, you might be having a mental health uh, crisis, your boundaries aren't being managed, you're not looking after yourself physically, you're in a performance management issue in, in, in work. How the heck do you overcome all this stuff when you don't mm. know what you don't know yet? And you've literally been existing and trying to manage the world in the way that you do. And it isn't until somebody says, oh, but you're autistic, or oh, you've got ADHD, yeah. that you go, oh, well, that explains everything. That explains why everybody else seems to be having a good old whale of a time, and I'm just struggling here. I wow. think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with that one, um, if that's an acceptable term. Um, just in terms of understanding the individual differences and the preferences and knowing that what we've been doing might not be, I don't want to say not normal, but not, not as not as energetic and you're not feeling quite right. You know, I know when I'm in optimum health and kind of work life, 
you know, I'm wanting to get up in the morning. I'm energized about getting on with my day. But I know that there have been a number of days where I haven't felt like that. But the norm outweighs the the peak of you know living life to its full yeah and maybe that's some of the recognization as well or the 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 recognizable behaviors and kind of attitudes and thoughts around it not being quite right there's that and we're conditioned so so society and social norms condition us to well we must be like this or we need to do this and this is what everybody else is doing and so I'm not doing that yeah maybe I should be and so then you do it and then you go but that makes me feel really uncomfortable and I really really hate it and please don't make me do it anymore yeah and that can have a massive impact on somebody's mental health in terms of late diagnosis for instance it's really empowering to be able to recognize who you are and I have had on more than one occasion somebody tell me I have never had somebody in front of me validate my existence before so this is training for instance this is training that I did with the Gurdy Air Project which was a a couple of years ago I remember this one a a woman in one of the face-to-face sessions I did said at the end I've never had anyone validate my existence before thank you because now I know that I am a successful autistic female and not a failing neurotypical wow that's that's pretty impactful even you saying that and it it not being in this moment you know it happened some time ago but recalling that story you know having that acceptance and I also want to kind of raise the the point about feeling comfortable to self-diagnose a number of us feel very comfortable when we have an accredited person a doctor a gp you know yep. someone with letters after their name that yep. can go yep that's that's this condition or that's that and and you identify as that but actually to empower yourself to self-diagnose it sounds like it's i would say i would say i'm not sure about the word self-diagnose myself Ah, i would say self-identification okay self-identify i get that yeah if we go down that route of diagnosis look there are reasons why psychologists clinical psychologists are paid a fair bit of money to do the job that they do right yeah and i don't know that actually you might be experiencing bipolar disorder so there might be there might be postnatal depression it might be menopause it might be a whole range of different things Mm. that could be causing us to feel the way that we do and 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 working the way that we do but self-identification I think is valid I think that because we have uh, a long wait for any diagnostic processes actually the Equality Act right so if we're to talk about the Equality Act in the law you don't need any medical diagnosis to be protected under the protected characteristic of a disability under the Equality Act, okay? So self-identification and recognising that you have challenges and you have impairments or difficulties that make life very difficult for you over a sustained period of time, yeah. well, hey, there's there's self-identification here. And I do recognise that I have traits that I talk to people about in terms of of, of ADHD. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go down that. Also, the fact that, right, here, here's another thing, okay? Parents of neurodivergent children, where do you think it comes from? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I, would, I would advocate that 
parents of autistic children, for instance, are screened for autism themselves. Yeah. That's not going to happen because that's just there's just not enough money in the, the public coffers yeah. to do that. Yeah. But by recognizing that your children are neurodivergent, your children are autistic, ADHD, dyspraxic, yeah. it's highly likely that genetics uh, right, I'm going to say something out there, and I'll probably phrase it in the wrong way, all right? What, what do you think causes autism? Sex, all right? Okay, explain. Genetic, Genetic. This, this is... okay? We create children, <laughs> right? We create children, and if you, right, so a book you can read, Steve Silberman, Neurotribes, okay? Yeah. Steve Silberman, Neurotribes, he visited Silicon Valley a few years ago, quite a few years ago, and he began his kind of research and investigation into neurodiversity. And he started, he, he saw in, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of autistic children here, because there were, there were a lot of children yeah. being being uh, uh, identified, diagnosed, a lot of autistic children in S Silicon Valley. And he kind of looked around and went, hmm, I wonder why. Because the parents who were being brought into Silicon Valley to do those highly technical jobs, to yep. do the stuff that that takes big brain power and and solving big problems, probably autistic themselves, probably a fair bit of neurodiversity yep. themselves in that region. And I think that we see that in the UK, in certain pockets of the UK, where we have areas where you might have a lot of tech companies, areas where you might have engineering and um, universities. So... The Silicon Gorge, let's call yep. it, Wales, West of England, let's just say, yeah. Thank you, Lucy. And I know at the beginning of this conversation, you know, if you have any concerns or any awareness that you want to talk about, you know, the first point of call is to go and see your GP. So we we are kind of validating that uh, that route. But self-identifying, knowing that you have awareness of you know, things that you find difficult in life or in, in the workplace. So another thing that might help is um, at Inclusive Change, we've just partnered with Genius Within and we can offer we can offer profiling through Genius Within, which is not saying here's a diagnosis, but it's actually more about recognising somebody's profile and your spiky profile where you might be great at something but really rubbish at working yep. at your right and left. You know, or you might be great at verbal reasoning or verbal comprehension, but yeah. really crap with numbers, right? Yeah. And it's if you want to get in touch, if people want to get in touch, then we can we can um, support people and point them in the direction of uh, those assessments that are fairly easy and not very expensive to do, but they are not a diagnosis. They are okay. about recognizing we all have different brains. Yes. Thank you for that, Lucy. I also want to um, reference in the, the tech world, um, episode 23, that I had a conversation with Steve Hill of Autocon, um, and they specialise in supporting people Autocon. and organisations yeah. um, in recruitment of IT specialists. And uh, yeah, if you're in the tech world and uh, want to find out more, go and have a listen to episode 23 and yeah, look up Autocon from a recruitment perspective. I um, really highly rate Autocon, actually, um, the way in which they approach things. And they provide support, for instance, through using tools and strategies like Access to Work, which is just just an amazing, amazing resource from DWP, Access to Work. But 
one of the challenges with it is it's not easy to apply for or to to put in place but Alticon I know in the employers that they work with they they provide that support within within that program or within that recruitment process fantastic thank you for that uh that support and validation of of that organization lucy i want to ask you what's next but you probably can't tell us um Um, let me think oh crikey well in the southwest i'm hoping to bring uh, a brilliant conference next uh year which is kind of well it's very much related to tech actually it's all about digital safety um and the conference itself is called digital well-being in young people um, we hosted it up in the northeast in Durham earlier in, in September 2023. And we want to bring the same event to the southwest. It is a conference which is looking at things like how do we maintain our well-being in a an online and connected world? Um, we're looking at things like gaming and um, support through different channels of reaching young people through gaming communities and supporting yeah. around mental health, well-being, and I am going to, right, I'm just going to be out there and I, I suicide prevention. So that's essentially what we're, we're looking at. And one of the reasons why I've kind of thrown myself into this is, is A, the company that I'm working with, Digital Safety, are just incredible, community interest company up in the Northeast. Yep. Um, but neurodivergent people have a higher risk of suicide and suicidal ideation. Um, that is a given, and we need to start talking about it. So um, it, it, with that one, I've been working with an organization called If You Care Share, which is um, a suicide prevention organization. If people are, are struggling, if they want conversation, look up If You Care Share. All right. They're, they are Fantastic. amazing and do amazing work. Thank you. I will be adding all of these to the show notes. And ultimately, Lucy, how can people get hold of you? Inclusivechange.co.uk. You will find a get in touch page. And that is the best way to get hold of me. All my socials are on there. LinkedIn is a really good place to find me. Um, But inclusivechange.co.uk. And then you can find everything about my world on that website. Fabulous. Um, and Lucy has some fantastic resources. Do go and check it out. Yes. Um, I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do and have something I ask for money for, but most of what I have on there is free. So fantastic. I love following your journey on LinkedIn. There's always some random time that you've just done something amazing and you'll post about. Um, and so I, I'm usually one what, of like the early ones. Prime Minister. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just throw <laughs> that one in there. It, do you know what my I life is? Life sometimes is a bit remarkable, but we can say, oh no, I can't do that. I'm far too busy type of thing all the time. Or we can just say, oh, go on then. Let's see what that's about. Let's give it I a love, go. I love that attitude. That's that's my sort of way of working because you never know who you're going to meet or what's going to happen. It's yeah. that excitement that of, of meeting new people, having new conversations. Who knows? Um, but equally, if you have a gut feel not to do those things, then that's okay too. Absolutely. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Afternoon naps for the Yes. <laughs> Afternoon naps are the way forward. They should be like obligatory in the working environment. Don't have a nap. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Please just, you know, get to the end of this episode first. <clears throat> um, I used to I used to work for a Japanese company. And whilst we didn't have naps in the afternoon, you know, there was all the rage about having the sleep pods so that yeah. people could go and have, you know, 
10 minutes kind of rest and then be energized to keep going. Um, yeah. Not that we advocate 24 hours working either. Um, no, but our afternoon I don't work 24 from... hours. I actually don't work 24 hours. I get a good, good eight hours sleep. I say good, good. sort of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, we're going off for one now. You can yeah. go to sleep now. Afternoon naps for the win. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Very You're much appreciate welcome. your time and look forward to uh, collaborating with you again soon. I hope so. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. I'd really appreciate it if you could rate, review and download this episode. Thanks. Bye. Yeah.